All right, thank you all, as I have said, for being here. I have tried, as we have gotten into the book of Romans, and we're in the sixth chapter of it today, kind of dealing with chapters 5, 6, and 7. We dealt a little bit with 4 and 5 last week, so it kind of overlaps a little bit. But one of the things that I've tried to do is I've tried to give you some context. I've tried to help you understand what's going on in the Roman culture at the time that's causing Paul to write a letter like he did in in the letter that, that we have in the Bible that he wrote to the Romans. What caused him to write this letter in advance of his visit that he's going to make there. So I've been trying to fill in some of that context. The context that I want to give you today before I actually get to this scripture, and the scripture is printed in your bulletin, for the wages of sin, right, is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now that's a, that's a memorized Romans road scripture. If you're talking to anybody about salvation, you know, uh, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin are death, and the gift of uh, God is, is uh, you know, salvation through our Lord. You know, these are Romans Road types of, of scriptures that we memorize. But what's going on? Well, I, I would say to you, we have a, an amazing shift in culture. It's been 200 years since the Greeks, and everybody knows what the Greeks were all about, right? Name an important Greek to me. Somebody. Aristotle. Socrates. Plato. What do we know those men for? We remember them 2,500 years later. Why? some of the greatest philosophers that the world has ever known. And so we, we talk about Aristotle and Plato and, and Parmenides, and uh, we talk about all of these philosophical giants of the past because that's what the Greeks did. That was their culture. They built themselves around philosophy. So if you had issues in the Greek world... You thought about them. Did it bring peace to the world? <laughs> Absolutely not. The Greek, the time that the Greeks were in charge were some of the most violent times. The 300. You know, you've watched some of these movies out there, right? Some of the most violent times that area of the world has ever known. The Greeks brought no peace. Well, the Greeks are going to be conquered by this little bitty town that, that has grown up over hundreds of years to become this mighty nation called Rome. And Rome is going to beat the Greeks. Rome is not full of philosophers. The Greeks had soldiers. Rome didn't beat them because they were better soldiers than the Greeks were. So who were the Romans? The Romans were engineers. Let's hear it for the engineers. The Romans were engineers. They were the ones that figured out how to build machines that you 
put yourself behind a big wall, the Romans can build a machine to tear that wall down so that their soldiers can get to you. The Romans figured out how to put sewage systems in cities so that people could be healthier. The Romans were engineers. Now, they were fierce warriors, but they weren't any more fierce than, than uh, the Greek warriors. They just had better weapons. They had better armor. They rose up and they defeated a philosophical culture. Now, we talk about the Peace of Rome, the Pax Romana. Because they had the strongest military in the world? No. Because they were mechanical. Everywhere they went, they left in place, they, they were methodical in their thoughts. They left in place the leadership that was there, and they said, we're going to leave you in place if you will just behave yourself. And so peace spread throughout the world because people realized, well, we can keep our own culture. We just have to pay some tribute to a guy that lives somewhere that we don't know. And so we'll just pay our taxes and we'll live. Who were the Romans? You see, the thread that goes through all of this is religion. What did they believe about God? The Greeks had all of their gods. Remember? The, the Oropagus? The Romans had all of their gods. And so it didn't matter whether you were being ruled by the Greeks or you were being ruled by the Romans. You were going to have religion in that culture. So the question is not what is your culture built upon for Paul. The question is what's the religious thread. Think about it today. We just came out of what many have called an age of industry. We built factories everywhere in America. And in the last 25 years, 30 years, we have seen what? Those factories are closing. And we're not building things. Now, some of that's because we've sent it across the world. But what the American culture used to be based on agriculture. Then we moved to industry. And you know what we've moved to now? Information. We're an information country now. And whoever controls the information controls the country right now. In the last hundred years, the titans were the titans of industry, right? Rockefeller. Leading up to that in the late 1800s, it was transportation. And so the people that had all the money in America were train magnets. The people who could get goods and people wherever they needed to be. Cultures shift and change. 
But what's the thread that runs through the culture? It's the religion. It's the faith. It's what people believe about questions like death, value. Our value is a religious belief. It just is. What are we worth to each other? What I'm, what I'm trying to get your mind to think about here is the context in which Paul's writing a letter. Because he's not writing a letter to the engineers of Rome that are figuring out how to build better weapons or to fight better or to build better sewer systems. That's all going on around Rome. He's writing to a people that have some fundamental questions in life. One of those questions is, why do bad things happen to us? Why do we die? Where do bad things come from in life? Those questions sound familiar? They're the same questions we ask in 2022. I know last week I kept saying 2021. I'm sorry. My brain has gone into 2022 this week. I'm with you. The point that I'm making is we've got the same questions they had 2,000 years ago. We're not asking new questions. And we have been answering those questions in our American experience for over 200 years now. And we've been answering them with ideas about God. So, what was the Roman idea about God? How did you answer the question, why do bad things happen? Well, there was this God by the name of Kronos, and Kronos created all kinds of other gods. If you're a Jewish person, you have been raised to believe that there is Yahweh and Jehovah. So if you are a Jewish person living in Rome, this makes sense to you. Oh, well, they just call him by another name. And he created everything else. They just call him by Cronus. We call him Yahweh. We're saying the same thing the Jewish person living in Rome would say. And so they would listen further. And they would say, well, who was it that Kronos in, in Rome created to kind of take care of everything here? And the religious people of Rome, their priests, their ministers, the people that talked to them about faith said, well, it was a, it was a goddess by the name of Terra. It's where we get our word for the earth. Terra, terra firma. All right. Yeah, never mind. Terra was responsible for anything the earth produced. If you had a good harvest, it was because Terra was pleased with you. If you had a bad harvest, it was because you had done something wrong and Terra was paying you back for it. And if you really made this God mad, she sent earthquakes. And Rome was a region that had lots of earthquakes. That's an that's a earthquake area. Volcanoes, earthquakes. Lots of, lots of those happened over there. 
This was the way Rome understood. Why do bad things happen? Because you've made Terah mad. So, the Jewish person is listening to Rome's faith. They know what they have been taught in their Jewish faith. And they're trying to say, how do we live? Where, where do we make sense of all this? Now, the Jewish person has said, you know what? That's not too far off. They've just changed the names. Because if you do good, their scripture said, will you not be rewarded? And if you do bad, will not bad things happen to you? So what's the difference between a Roman belief in Terah and the fact that she will bless you if you have pleased her? And so... Well, that makes sense. We please God by doing what He wants. Good things come to us. If we displease God, hurricanes come. Bad things come. 2022. Do you ever hear that? I do. I do. I don't know about you. Maybe, maybe people don't have religious conversations with you. But people say to me, Tim, do you think the bad things are happening right now because we have not done God's will? It's a good conversation. It's a good question. My answer to that, by the way, is no. Tara is not in charge. That's not the way God operates. Obey me, or I will send a hurricane. No. So, do I believe that? No. Is there a large portion, even of the Christian population in this nation, that absolutely believes that if you do good things, God will bless you. And if you do bad things, God will punish you. And so that's where the blessings of life Death. Now we can talk about sin. Because in 2,000 years, we, we may call it something different, but we still think there is a God. And just because we call it the one God, Jehovah and Yahweh, make no mistake, we're talking about a God that if we do the right things is going to reward us, and if we do the wrong things is going to punish us. And so now we begin to get to some of... Paul's writing as he's going to say something like you find in Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death. Ah, I understand that. I sinned, so I die. But Paul goes on and he says, but the gift of God is eternal life. Ah! So I get it. If I do what's right in this world, then I'm saved. God will be pleased with me. And I get to live with Him for eternity. But if I don't, I die. If I don't, I die. So, what's Paul doing? Well, Paul's trying 
to, to get them to think in a different way. What's the death that Paul is talking about? For the wages of sin is death. Is this simply a statement on our life and our death? Is that what Paul's referring to? The wages of sin is death. You sin in this world, you're going to hell. That's death. Because you're separated from God. Isn't that the way we've typically thought about that type of thing? Let me put something forward to you for at least for you to consider. Paul has already told us. Paul has already told us. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Talked about that last week. We talked about last week uh, the fact that when you give your heart to Christ, when you believe in Christ, when you surrender yourself to Christ, that there is nothing that you can do, just as there is nothing that you can do to win salvation for yourself, once you have given your heart to Christ, there is nothing short of taking your heart back from Christ, rejecting Christ Himself. There's nothing you can do to separate you from the salvation of Jesus Christ. I forgot today when I was on my walk. I didn't walk this morning. I'm, let's say it was a Monday. I forgot today that sin that I did yesterday. Therefore, if I die today, I'm not right with God. That supposes that I have to remember every sin I've done. I have to be accountable for that sin. You see, the way the Romans worshipped Terah was that every time spring came, they made a vow to Terah. And they said, this is what I'm going to do this year. And, and I'm bringing you a sacrifice and an offering. And if I do this this year, bring me good crops. Bring me good fortune. May the earth produce life for me. And their understanding was, if you lived up to your side of the bargain, Tara lived up to her side of the bargain. And then when you harvested your crops, when you pulled everything in from the fields, the bargain was over. It was done. Everything died. There was no bargain anymore. So, in our culture, every April when our farmers are out there and they begin to disc that land and prepare it so that by May, hopefully they're starting to plant by the end of it, and by July, everything's in the ground. They're out there for that three months working like crazy. If they had been living 2,000 years ago, they would have been looking at Tara. They would have come to church. They would have brought an offering and they would have made a contract to her. And as they're plowing that field, they're talking to Tara. They're talking to the earth. They're talking to this God. And they're saying, make it work. Make it work. Here's the deal that I've made with you. And when they're harvesting it in the fall, if it's a terrible harvest, they're sitting here thinking, what did I do? 
What didn't I do? What did I do? Why is my harvest so bad? But regardless of good or bad harvest, they always had the opportunity to start again next year. Why? Because everything in the world died. All the crops died. Leaves left the trees. The ground got hard. You couldn't plant anything if you tried. COVID took over. You're dead. For three months, four months, you're dead. Paul says, all right, the wages of sin are death. And this is the way you are used to thinking about things. You've made a contract. You've made a deal with God. If you do good stuff, you'll live. Paul says, that's that's not what's going on here. Why? How do we know that? Because he follows, and the wages of sin are death, with the gift of God is eternal life through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. How do we know that that makes a difference? Because Paul has said this. You have your Bibles? Turn to the fifth verse. That way you don't go to sleep. Turn to the fifth verse. Sixth chapter, fifth verse. If we have been united together in the likeness of His death, right? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin are death. If we have been united in the likeness of His death, so also we shall in the likeness of His resurrection, knowing that this our old man has been crucified with Him. Does that mean death as in the end of your life? No. It means life in this world. The old man is crucified in this world. And that's the way that sin is done away with. That we should no longer live as slaves to sin. Paul is not talking about your final resting place. He's not talking about whether you go to heaven. He's talking about how you live your life in this world. That's how we know that he is arguing against this idea of a worship of God the way the Romans worship Terah. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, this is what we believe. We believe that we shall also live with him. Verse 9. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, listen, dies no more. You do not get to the end of harvest in your life and get a four-month reprieve until you have to worry about life again. Christ died once, not every year. But you see, the Jewish people, they like what they're hearing from the Romans because the Jewish people are used to this. Every year, we bring our sacrifice to God and that takes care of our sins for the year. And we get to restart it. Paul says there are no restarts. 
There is no beginning and there is no end. Life in Christ is life in Christ. Listen. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now he's going to finish this. So don't let sin reign in your mortal bodies. When? If the wages of sin is death, that means for four months out of every 12 of the year, the world lies in a state of death. And we just restart it. Each spring. The spring of our lives. We'll just start it again. I failed last year. I'll try again this year. Christ doesn't care if you failed last year. Well, maybe that's too strong. Christ is not going to condemn you. He cares whether we failed. He's not going to condemn you if you failed yesterday, last week. What Christ is concerned about is whether you are dead to sin and alive to Him. That's what He cares about. So, here's here's the essence, here's the context of what Paul is trying to say. The, The Christian Jewish people in Rome have got all of these Jewish beliefs that they see reflected in the Roman beliefs of the day. And and by the way, why? Because Judaism has been there for 1,500 years already. The Greeks didn't reinvent anything. The Romans didn't reinvent anything. Contrary to what the world thinks today, Muhammad didn't reinvent anything with Islam. All he did was tie Christianity and Judaism together. The Hindu faith didn't create anything. Buddhists didn't create anything. All they did was reflect little bitty pieces of what God had already done in the world. And so what the Romans are trying to answer, regardless of what's going on in their culture, is what what is this up and down flow of life? It seems like Paul's going to say things like, good grief, the things that I don't want to do are the things that I do. And the very things that I do want to do, I can't seem to do them when I want to do them. Does that mean I'm at odds with God? Paul's going to say no. No. And so he's launched into this whole idea of the law and the law can't save you in chapter 5. He's going to follow it up in chapter 6 by saying, and God doesn't work in, in the sense that you've got to come to him with a new deal every day. Belief in God, life in Jesus Christ is this. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lusts. Do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness unrighteousness to sin. Present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead 
We're obviously not talking about the end of your life. Let me see if I can make sense. If you don't honor your father and mother, what happens to you? Your family falls apart. If you don't honor your father and mother, your family falls apart. For your parents? If my kids didn't honor me, well, how does that change my life? You're 17, kid. What you, what you do has no long-term effect on my life. You're six. I don't care. You're not getting a cookie. What's the penalty? What's the death if you fail to honor your father and mother? Your family falls apart for you. If you're the child and you reject your father and mother and you push them away from you and you say, I am not going to obey you. I am not going to listen to you. I... Your world will shatter. But what about when you're 40 years old? The consequence of the death may not be as great to me because I may be making my own money. I may have my own place to live. I may have my own job. But the reality of the death is no different. If I fail to honor my mother, the family falls apart. It just does. If I begin to lie to you tomorrow, what happens to our relationship? It's gone. If you can't trust the words I say, what are you going to listen to out of me? Nothing. And if we can't talk to each other and communicate with each other, our relationship is done. It's dead. Do you see the death that Paul is talking about? The wages of sin, brothers and sisters, it is not a life and eternity in hell. Not if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. He's taking care of eternity for you. Paul's talking about another kind of death. He's talking about the things of this world. He's talking about the wage that you will receive in this world if you are married to somebody, if you are in a covenant relationship with somebody, if you are in a friendship with somebody that is exclusive, and you decide that not telling that person that you're done with them or not wanting to be done with that person, that friend, that spouse, you're going to go look for things of that relationship somewhere else. That's what the Bible calls adultery. What happens to that relationship? It dies. It's done. You can't hold it together. And the wages of that sin is death, not death someday. You may wish for the final death with some of the sins that we commit against each other and against the world. 
Paul's message is really pinpoint clear here. You take responsibility for your relationships in this world. You take the responsibility, he said. Why? Because the wages of what you do in this world will either in Jesus Christ... You see, life in Jesus, Paul says, life in Jesus is about telling the truth. How do we know that? Because Jesus looked at us and said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you want abundant life, come to me. Why? Because in me, you tell the truth. In me, you have fidelity. In me, you do the things that you need to do to build. Coveting your neighbor's stuff. What's that give you? Well, I'm going to take from my neighbor what he has. I like it. Go get it yourself. Because if you go get it yourself, your neighbor has it and you have it. And you've built something. If you just go steal what your neighbor has, now your neighbor doesn't and you do. But there's a price to pay for that. Yeah? Yeah? No. Give me a head shake. Okay. Stand. I'd love to leave you with a blessing. Preacher likes to know that people at least understood. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face to shine upon you. Be gracious unto you, lifting up His countenance upon you. And I pray this for you. God would give you peace. God is good. And all the time, go in peace and have a great week. Stay healthy, everybody.